an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Good morning. Good evening. 7 a.m. here, 10 p.m. in the UK, but wherever you are in the world, one thing remains true. We fucking beat Spurs. We beat the shit down the road. Uh, Darren, you still buzzing? You still happy, mate? You feeling good? I know you're pissed, but are you pissed and feeling good about the Tottenham game? Uh, I'm not pissed. I said I had four points. That's just like a daily. It's <laughs> just like a, it's just like a regular medicine. You know, like some people take statins. I take Guinness. That's why I'm Something. a prime figure of a man that I am. Well, Darren, Guinness for strength, Guinness for protein, Guinness for vitamins. Now, to be honest, I'm not still buzzing. It's been, I'm, 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 you know, I wonder sometimes, I love doing this on a Thursday night because all the others go out on a Monday and a Tuesday and we go in straight after we've won in the Champions League. Oh, no, we don't do that anymore. We go on straight <laughs> after we've won in the Europa League. Oh, no, we don't do that anymore. Uh, and Thursday, it seems ages ago. It was one of the best days I've had at the Emirates for so long. I mean, so long. It was just incredible. It was lovely. It was a dream come true. And if you remember at the end of this podcast last week, <laughs> at the end of this podcast last week, I said that we would win 3 0. And I said, I think I said, bollocks. You fucking idiot! I think that was my that was my actual statement. I tried to go back and find it. I think I said. Well, you will because I always say what I bet at the weekend. I did bet on Arsenal winning three nil, but my mate who I go to the football with convinced me he comes in on the bet with me, and he convinced me to do three nil and three one. So it was a jolly day all round. There you go. I think there is. Does my uh, to win the golden boot at forty to one look better value? Never going to fucking happen, Darren. I think there is something that is a little bit more, I don't know, less emotional about having a podcast about beating Spurs three or four days after because, you know, Twitter is is basically flips between the two, Darren, of being, you know, everyone being very, very negative or if Arsenal win, everyone's very, very, you know, Darren and we're going to win the league and fuck the shit down the road. Um, So I do think that doing something on a Thursday we've had time to digest it now. We've had time to dig into all the media and, and I guess get your confirmation biases about if what you saw was what you think you saw. And so I guess the best place to start Darren is what did you, what did you see? What did you think that you saw in that game? I I want your number one takeaway from the game. What did I see before I just go on to what I said? I just thought something there. Are you still podcasting with, with Toby, your brother? No, we do nothing. Why can't you get him on this? Let's do it at a time similar to him. I love his company. Because <laughs> uh, if we do it in the morning, he's a useless cunt in the mornings. He's always been he's always been a useless cunt in the mornings since he was a young man. And in the evenings, he's a fucking useless cunt as well. So the only way the Ars Bros ever worked, the Ars Bros OG show ever worked, which was Toby and my show, was if we just did it whenever Toby could do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. So what did I see? What did I see at the weekend? What did I take from the game? Uh, do we have to say, I think the only thing, after watching Tottenham Hotspur, that lot down the road, do we have to say that it's now only Norwich, only Burnley and only Spurs? Because <laughs> mm. that's, that's one thing I took from the game. They are rubbish. Worst team I've seen so far this season. You know, I've watched all our games. They are by far and away the worst. I I was shocked, Darren. I was shocked by how bad they were, by how poor they were. And the thing that I was most shocked by is in a North London derby, when you're not playing particularly well and the team that you're coming up against hasn't been attacking particularly fluently, why in fucking God's name would you pick that midfield? Ndombele cannot fucking defend. Deli Alley does not defend. Hoiberg just got hung out to drive for the entire game. And I thought it might have actually very slightly inflated Arsenal's performance, both how poor Tottenham were 
and how poor that midfield was for them. Yeah, I mean, match day experience was something special there because I've told you about the week before, the weekend before in the uh, in the League Cup game, it took everyone hours to get in. It was a nightmare. The security was a... They were trying a new security system, whatever. It was a nightmare. So what happened in this game, everybody, everybody got there early. So everybody had had two or three hours in the pub and got there early. Uh, and it was just so much fun. And Tottenham fans, what did I take away from the game? I just thought of something else that I loved. I loved Harry Kane going over to applaud some empty red seats at the end of the game. It was, <laughs> it was so great because they did. The fact they walked over, and I swear there was no more than four or five people left in that end at the end of the game. And the Spurs players dutifully went over and clapped them. Well done to the Spurs players, not so well done to the Tottenham Hotspur fans. They disappeared so early. That was another good thing I saw from the game. It's a very Spursy, very Tottenham thing to start putting posts up about being top of the league and then Im- immediately be below Arsenal. Um, Granit Xhaka, Darren, starts. I, 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 look, I put up a tweet. It's the most... The tweet that I put up is the most reposted tweet that I've ever put up on our Ask Bros account. And it was reposted not in positive ways. It was reposted negative ways of people calling me a fucking melt. Um, people calling me AFTV. Really, it produced a huge amount of anger. And the funny thing is, Darren, when I put the tweet up, I thought it was quite a moderate tweet. What was your tweet? What was your tweet? said Granite Jacket did nothing to improve us in this game and equally did not detract from the team. That's what I put up. Right? Basically saying we were not a better team for having Granite Jacket there and we were not a worse team for having Granite Jacket there. I was trying to get, I think I started saying before all the narrative starts because whenever Arsenal has a good game and Jacket doesn't have a bad game within that, that Arsenal team Everyone starts fucking losing it about him and saying he's man of the match. I said, for fuck's sake, just because this guy has a 7 out of 10 performance, doesn't get sent off and does his fucking job, can we all stop sucking his dick down to the shaft until he does it for a consistent period of time? I didn't think he was bad, Darren. I didn't think he was good. I well, love that the argument was in all three goals, Darren. This was the argument. He was involved in all three goals. And I was like... For two of those goals, one goal, he made a fucking stand-up tackle and passed the ball 10 feet. For the second goal, he fucking fouled Hoiberg and then made another 10-yard tackle for everyone else to do it in front of him. So I didn't I didn't understand. Let me tell you the rhetoric. Before the game, in the pub, people were talking about Xhaka. It was one of the main things we talked about. Um, and the general consensus, consensus of opinion was... No one wanted him back in the side. Everyone expected him back in the side. And we all sort of thought he would be okay in the side. At the end of the game in the pub, um, I think the general consensus was he had a very, very good game. Now, I know you call him a 7 out of 10 player, and I think you're probably right. But what he did was his job. Yeah, and I'm not saying that somebody else couldn't have done that job, but he did his job very well. We sat in front of the defence. He was always available to receive the ball and he gave it out quickly, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's where where the skill was in that team selection was he had Emil Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard both moving forward at pace to give the ball to. They were always an option. Party, of course, sat alongside him, but there was always an option. And he actually did what we hoped Jack would do. He moved the ball quickly, something he doesn't do very often. And I thought we had a very steady, very good game. But that's my that that was the the crux of the argument I was making, Darren. So you've got a guy who costs what? What was Darren? What was uh Jack's transfer through? 30, 30 million? It's a 30 million pound player, 34 million pounds. Yeah. Am I wrong? So you've got a 34 million pound player who's played more fucking minutes for Arsenal than anyone else in the team, who is the most senior person in the team, who has held the captain's armband, who does his fucking job in a game, and everyone starts fucking deep throating him because he does his job. I don't so, think everybody was deep throating him. No, I think everybody said he did his job. 
but everyone everyone online the 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 problem with someone like granite shaker is i've i've realized now that he actually suffers from two types of narrative right so he suffers from a your shit jacket narrative and he suffers from an inflated ego narrative from arsenal fans for me it's like darren have you ever done a really good smelling shit right where you've done a shit and you're like fuck that smells great right because it is so rare darren because shit usually smells like shit I don't know where I'm going here, but I'm going to keep digging, right? Because the shit usually smells like shit. If you do a shit and it smells really good, you're like, fuck, that shit smells amazing. But it doesn't smell amazing, Darren. It just smells better than shit, right? But it's still a shit. And that's the way I feel about Xhaka. I remember before on last week's podcast, I think all three of you that were on last week, yourself, Ryan, and uh, Mike, all said, Rest Saka and don't play Jacker. I think that's what came out. That's uh, uh, have you not at least been proved that that was a mistake? Absolutely. Jacker did his job. He may have smelt of nothing. He may not have smelt of shit. He may have just done his job. But when he does his job and he does his job well, he is an addition, a great addition to that side. And, and that was, I am and not sucking my- his cock to the shaft, to quote <laughs> your words, and I'm not saying his shit smelt beautiful, but he had an average shit, and I would just suck a little bit of his helmet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, look, look, I, I think... You're like, dragging me down to your level tonight. That's what I do, that's what I do, Darren. And this is what happens when you let me host. See, when you host, you maintain order. When I host, it's about sucking people's dicks and shit that smells like roses but is still shit. Um, look, I, I, I agree. And in the fullness of time, I, I did actually have a rewatch of the game because why wouldn't you rewatch Arsenal beating Spurs? And on my rewatch of the game, I agreed with myself still that I thought that Jacka had a very solid game. I still didn't agree with the vast amount of people who I engaged with on Twitter who seemed to think he had had close to a man of the match game. I didn't think he had a man of the match game. I thought he did his job very well. But in the fullness of time when I went back and watched it, the only thing that I maybe didn't pick up on the first time was how much faster Jacka released the ball when he got it. That was something that was different. So he wasn't as ponderous on the ball as what I've seen him in the past. He got it. He got his head up. And he wasn't always looking for that killer ball in between the lines where he's got to take lots of touches. I think because of the people he had in front of him and the creativity he had in front of him, he got his head up and he moved the ball quite quickly 10 yards. So I will give him that. When I bust open the jacket to Darren, I'm not smelling it thinking, mmm, scented candle of caramel and lavender. But I busted open the jacket and I went, this smells less of shit to me. Well, give him Smell- some credit there. If, if, if he smell of less shit than normal, then suck his cock a little. They all not- played well. Let's not single him out as a man of the match because he wasn't. But everybody on that pitch, in my opinion, played very well. Everyone okay. did their job in the first half, at least. On to if we if I'm if I'm moving away from from Jack because I wanted to get that out early because otherwise it ends up being the narrative of the entire podcast and I didn't want that to be the narrative of the entire podcast but can I just say Darren that for the last three four weeks I've consistently been calling Obama Yang a lazy piece of shit right I've been saying it over and over and over again I've been saying it's not about goals for Obama Yang I don't give a fuck whether he scores 15 goals in the year or 25 goals in the year I've been saying he's a lazy piece of shit. He doesn't make runs for other people around him. He doesn't create space for other people around him. And he doesn't hound anyone. My word, I think I put that in one of my best Aubameyang performances of all time. He scores one goal, but he worked his dick off. What's the difference? He worked worked his dick off for the people. North London Derby, he got up for it emotionally. I think that I think this remains to be the problem with Aubameyang for us that maybe as his time at Arsenal hasn't panned out the way he wanted to came in 
you know, under Emery, then under Lundberg, then under Arteta and different systems and different styles. I don't know why he is unable to do this. Or you know, I've just thought of the answer. Let me help you out there because I've just thought of the answer. Uh, 60,000 people watching him. His dip in form absolutely correlates to the time when there was no fans in the stadium. Do you remember, this is the showman that does somersaults. This is the showman that used to wear masks when he was scoring goals. This is a, a showman that's had to play in an empty, sterile stadium for at his age for the last year of his life, thinking last year of his life, last year of his, uh, possibly the last year of his Arsenal career before that contract. You know, he, he has found a dip. That was the first time he'd played in front of a big home audience, really, and I thought he was exceptional. You're right. Look, I don't know if you noticed in the in the Emil Smith Row goal. Not only does he make the initial run that creates the space, but when he realizes he's not getting the ball, he runs across to get to the far post to to be an option. Creates which more space. Darren, which Darren has been my argument in the first couple of games of this year as well, when people have said our attack isn't going, and they've been looking at Smith Rows and they've been looking at Sackers. And I kept making this argument on Twitter that if you don't have someone at the head of the spear actually making runs and pulling people out of shape and pulling defenders and saying, well, you've got to come with me and I've got to run across and I've got to make all these moves for you, then the space will never open up. I think another reason, Darren, is all of a sudden you've got behind Aubameyang just three kids who just want it who knew what a North London derby was all about. You know, so why India. did you want to drop Saka? You said, I think, why not comment you just now? You can't, I, you can't dig, why not's just said in one of the messages, you can't dig us out and not picking Saka because uh, he looked tired. Yeah, but he gets the North London derby is what I was saying last week. He gets yeah, it. Emil Smith, though, they I, get it. I, I think in the fullness of time, Darren, the sentiment was right that Saka needed a break, but probably not in this game. And if I go back to what Ryan said on our podcast last week he said Saka's blowing out of his ass but he's one of the few people in our team who only needs a moment or a couple of moments and I think Saka had that game in a, in a couple of moments and um, fucking 20 years old and playing once a week it's doable you know it's doable yeah but look at what happens there it's amazing how you find a third leg when you're on the front foot and you're at home and the crowd is singing it's amazing how less tired you look you know, it's like even for me when, when I play football, when I play five-a-side, you know, I've got maybe eight, ten minutes in me of running. But if we're up and I've scored a couple of goals, all of a sudden I'm not coming off for the game, you know. There's more there's more air in my lungs. There's more gas in my legs to keep running. And that's just the nature of being on top of someone. Can I say that my my, my other man of the match for that game was the fucking crowd? Like... It, that is, it was. I don't know what it was. I wanted to ask you because I know you were there. But through the television, what was coming back at me was just relentless singing and energy. And I know you get that when you go one nil up against Tottenham. And I know you get that when you go two nil up against Tottenham. I know you get that when you get three nil up against Tottenham. But it felt very energetic, and it felt energetic from the start. And I was wondering if that came from a position of people in the pub prior actually believing from the start of the game that we were going to win this game? There was a confidence and a lot of alcohol before the start of the game. 4.30 Sunday afternoon kickoffs, And I, I don't want to keep talking about alcohol because obviously not everybody drinks. But a 4.30 kickoff, I turned up um, at around about 1.30. I was a little late. I actually worked Sunday morning. I turned up about 1.30, three hours before kickoff. And as you walk out of Finsbury Park, you can judge the crowd by the... The, the 12 pins pub on the corner by Finsbury Park. And it was about 15 deep outside, all singing as I as I came out of Finsbury Park Station. All the way down the streets, people were singing before they got in the stadium. Everyone was up for it. And then, of course, the result helps. It was, it was party time. Half time in that stadium, which you wouldn't have got um, through the television, in the concourses uh, around the ground... They were singing, you know, uh, I can't even remember the song, Tottenham Get Battered, wherever they go, uh, basically. And it was being sung by everyone, old and young. And it was 
underneath the stadium. And we came out in the second half. Everyone was so buoyant. Now, look, I'm not saying what would have happened if we'd have gone 1-0 down, 2-0 down. I'm not saying it would have been the same. But there was a real enthusiasm. As I've seen in every game this season, there's an enthusiasm for this Arsenal. They've been listening to me every week and there's an enthusiasm for this plan. There's an enthusiasm. We've got people to get behind. We've got Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka, young kids that have come through our academy. Maitland Niles is on the pitch. We've got some new signings we like. Ramsdale has become a, a folk hero already in a short time. Tom Komyatsu, what do you call him? Tommy Yasu. He, he was, Tom Kotsu. <laughs> he was fantastic. You know, he's, he, 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 the, the challenges. And when Aubameyang is making those 30-yard runs trying to chase down Erdegaard, every time their goalkeeper got the ball would make a 30-yard sprint to, to, to hurry him up. It, it fed off each other. And I, I feel that we've lost... I think I, I mentioned this last week. I think I, what I've heard is we've lost 15,000 season ticket holders um, over the course of uh, the the last eighteen months, and that they're the ones that we really needed to leave because there is fresh blood in the stadium. It's like we've got fifteen thousand new signings in the crowd because it's mm. not miserable. It's it's joyous at the moment. Now, well, 15, even fifteen thousand people who are waiting. What's the average wait time for a, a Arsenal membership? If I signed up today for a season ticket. What would be the average wait time, do you reckon? Well, I would say that uh, uh, two years ago, it was probably 10 years. Uh, now, I think you'd probably pick one up fairly uh, easily. I think they've wiped out the waiting list to a certain extent. You know, mm. there's a lot of disillusioned Arsenal fans out there. And by the way, I just saw a little comment there. I've got my, my glasses are on my head, so I was only catching that. Uh, why not just come back and said something about Saka? St- uh, what did he say? Uh Saka was still poor in performance, Saka even though he was still did a job. poor in performance, even though he did a job. What do you know? Why? Why? Why do you bother watching Arsenal? You know why do you bother watching Arsenal? The the idea of being a football supporter is for me anyway. Maybe not for everyone, but for me, it, it's your outlet. It's your release. It's my church. It's my cathedral. I go there every week to to pray to to be part of something tribal to scream and shout and to get rid of all of my emotions, to look for the good. I want to see Arsenal win everything, but we don't. And lots of clubs don't win. You know, there's 90-odd clubs in the in the, in the in the football pyramid in this country, and most of them don't win anything. You know, you might get successful once every 10 years. We're Arsenal Football Club. You go there as part of a body of people, all with the same intention to win. Get behind these players. You've got a 20-year-old kid who's just scored and had a great performance in a 3-1 victory against our bitter rivals, and you still say, mm, well, he weren't very good. What is the point? What is the point of supporting Arsenal Football Club? What is the support point of supporting football if you can't enjoy being a supporter? It's about supporting. It's not about just throwing as many negative things out as you can. It's about support. Do you understand that? Negative and critique are two different things. And I said after the game when it came to Saka, I said that the press will say that Saka had an amazing game because he scored in a North London derby. I thought Saka, much like Xhaka, did his job and not much more than that. And I still thought he looked tired and I still think I'd like to see him come out of the team for the next game, Darren, but I'm not going to shit on him What an amazing performance. But let's talk about something, Darren, that no one in the world could have put up a negative comment about. No one could even marginally say, oh, that shouldn't have been done or this should have been done. Darren, is Emil Smith-Rowe on track at Arsenal with his age profile, his connection to the club, his clear ability? Is he on track to, to take the mantle as the next great Arsenal player, the next great Arsenal hope? Interesting. I look at him and he reminds me a little bit of Paul Merson when he first uh, started playing for Arsenal. He's got that same sort of... There's two abilities that he has. He, he, He can find space. He runs into space. But he also plays a really quick ball. And when he plays that ball, and this is the joy I have with Emil Smith-Rowe, is he plays the ball in advance of the player that's making the run. I know that sounds really straightforward, but he seems to spot the space in front of the player to enable us to attack with some pace. And and that's been my biggest issue with Arsenal over the last, for God knows how many years now, with your Jackers and, uh, um, you know, 
who plays El Nini, all of these that we've seen go through the middle of the park. It's just square, slow passing. He has that ability to sit and actually put the ball in front of someone to give some energy and some purpose to to our attacks. Is he that good? I don't know yet. I don't know. I thought his game against Tottenham was probably... I've just watched rewatched the highlights and I think that was probably his best game in an Arsenal shirt. Forget the fact that he scored, that's lovely. But it was that... I've always found him a little bit lost in that midfield. When when we've wanted him to be a number ten, and okay, he was pushed out. He was out on the you know sort of wide left at, at times, coming inside at times, swapped and come out right at times. I just thought that he's been quite disappointed, and he, uh, and he can actually disappear in those games, which as a 19, 20, 21 year old kid you can expect. I thought that was his best game, and scoring a goal, scoring a goal in the North London derby, him saying it was the best day of his life. You've got to mm. remember just how young that kid is. Is he going to be good? We need four or five of those 10 youngsters to be good. You know, and they don't all turn out to be good. You know, Bellerin didn't turn out to be the best right back in the world. Jack Wilshere didn't turn out to be the new Zinedine Zidane. You know, these didn't happen. But Tony Adams did turn out to be the, you know, the best centre-half we probably had ever in the club. You know, so so we need half of those. I'm hopeful with Smith Rowe, but it's a bit like anything. I don't want to knock him down when he's when he's poor because he's a young kid learning his trade. And I don't want to say he's the new Dennis Burkamp, you know, Paul Merson, because it's too early in his Arsenal career. All I can say is I love watching him play. I love watching him play. And if we were mid-table and doing nothing, I would still turn up every week to watch this Arsenal side because there's things to get behind. And he is very much one of them. Mm. I have a sneaking suspicion, Darren, that much like a lot of Arsenal fans get players wrong and positionally get players wrong, I think Emile Smith-Rowe at this stage in his career is an interior winger, an inside channel winger. Actually, I actually don't think he's a 10 at this stage in his career, and that's because I don't actually think he's that much of a creative passer. For me, he's an intelligent runner and a hard runner. He's a tempo player. For me, he wants to give it and go and get close to people. Um, and I would much prefer to see him continue to be utilised in one of those inside channel, inside wing positions, especially on the left where you have Tierney overlapping and filling that pocket so much all of the time. I think that's why he looks really good in this game. I think that Arteta's so far his, the thing that has impressed me most technically about Arteta is when we signed Odegaard last year, I complained that it meant that Smith-Rowe came out of the team. And then when we re-signed him this year after re-signing Smith-Rowe and giving Smith-Rowe the number on his back, I said, I don't understand how he's going to get the two of them to play. I really like them on the pitch together. I think they complement each other. I think Odegaard can suffer a little bit sometimes from a little bit of Ozil syndrome. Not all the time, just sometimes from Ozil syndrome where he's very technical and there's a couple of extra touches there and he doesn't seem to have that explosion from 10. You mean he's a complete cunt? <laughs> <laughs> but also I think Smith no, Rose... this time, I broke the rules. I think Smith Rose suffers when he's in that 10 position because I don't think he has that mathematical creativity. I think he's much more of a reflex player where the ball comes in and he gets rid and goes and runs into spots. So... I think the two of them playing together and the two of them alternating and coming inside and outside so far from what I've seen is a real triumph. But it does bring me, Darren, to a question that we, we just seem to go back and forward on over and over again. And I don't think there's a right answer for it and I don't think there's a wrong answer for it. And I think that we need to take the money out of the equation when we talk about this player. But... The Arsenal team seems to look so much more solid with Pepe out of the team. And yet sometimes when Pepe comes out of the team, you just feel so desperate to have someone with that small amount of game-breaking ability and creative ability in the team. But I've said from the very start, Darren, I have never thought that Pepe and Aubameyang match up particularly well on the pitch. I just wonder what your thoughts are about kind of Pepe's start to the season, the player himself, and whether or not Pepe makes his way back into this team now on a regular basis as a regular starter. And if that, the, ma- if that matters, Darren, if that it, matters. 
It certainly doesn't matter, but I think Pepe will play more than half of the games for Arsenal this year. I think it's an integral part of our team. I think it was uh, one of those had to miss out. Saka, Smith-Rowe, Erdegaard, Aubameyang. One of those had to miss out for Pepe to come in. And I think the manager, you know, it was this North London derby. He knew what it meant to those Howland boys. I think he probably saw their passion. I think that's 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 why he chose them in this game. You could easily have put Pepe on that side. Pepe would have done a great job in, in that game because it was his sort of game. Uh, and and just, just back to Smith-Rowe briefly, to come from the academy and to get to play at Premier League football doesn't happen to many players. And he's been out mm-hmm. alone and he's been successful and he's gone through all of the things that we've we've asked him to do really well. He has built up slowly, slowly, slowly. But you've got to remember from playing under 18s, under 23s, academy football to Premier League football. We've seen lots of people with on much bigger transfer fees fail uh, uh, throughout the Premier League. Emil Smith-Rowe, we should just be proud of where he is now, not too much put too much um, pressure on him at the moment. But Pepe... And very uh, easily could have lost his head when Odegaard got signed. Very easily could have lost his head. And other players have lost their head when someone's been signed essentially into the position they play in. But from a mentality perspective for Smith Rowe, why I think he's going to be so successful is because his mentality is clearly, you put me on the pitch coach, you tell me where to play and I'll give it and I'll give it a hundred percent. Yeah. Let me bring some negativity to this, um, this very positive podcast at the moment, because the thing that concerns me most at the moment, I've just watched Arsenal play fabulously for 45 minutes, beat a very, very average Tottenham side at home. You know, I mean, it was, it wasn't difficult. It was very, very easy. I've got a concern is that we've played, what, six games in the Premier League now, three three defeats, three victories. Um, I think Arteta, when you saw that sort of the way we attacked, we, we suddenly saw how I think he wants to build us as a counter-attacking side against the better sides. Those that pen us back, quick movement from the back, beat the press, get it upfield quickly and score. I mean, we did it. Uh, we scored three times through that, but we also had three or four chances as well where we did that. So we saw that, and that's great. That's good. But what happens when we play the teams like Burnley and Norwich where we have to break them break them down? And I'm not sure still if we've got the personnel to do that. Mm. You know, we, we played Brentford in the first game of the season and we were all full, but we didn't put them under the cosh at any time in that game. We just sat back and we got beat. Chelsea and Manchester City are right off at the moment as teams that are, are more advanced than us or are better than us. Norwich, we didn't really... I mean, that was the, the one game this season where we played an inferior side and we were camped in their half, but we really didn't break them down. It was one little fluky goal that, that got us to win. We go away to Burnley, a team we should be dominating, and we were on the ropes for most of that game. And then we played Tottenham at home, where they were rubbish, you know, and we still sat back and we come on the counter attack. Do you see that as being our issue going forward when most of the teams in this league, when Arsenal start to rise to the top, because we will rise back because we're good, when we start to get people, teams to be a little bit more fearful of us and sit back and defend, have we got the armoury to actually break these teams down and, and win these games? There's a, there's a couple of things to dig out of that. Darren, playing against a wide-open Tottenham midfield with Deli Alley and Ndombele in there doing almost no backtracking, when you have the technicality, the passing technicality and the running ability that we have, and you have an Aubameyang, like you said, in front of 60,000, you know, revved up and ready to go, um, you can look at it and see it as a little bit of a false dawn there. Um, the other side of it being, you know, when you sit a bank of four with two people in front of it and then a bank of three in front of it very, very deep and you're playing against Arsenal and you're putting the onus on Arsenal to go and break you down. We haven't been good at that for a very, very very long long time. All of last season, the game plan for opposition teams against your Wi-Fi is playing up, by the way, Max. You've gone a bit. We're crammed an issue there, Darren. That I've gone a bit. I've gone a bit hectic, have I? It's on. Should be. Yeah, you one. have. Yeah. Am I back? Yes. Um. So yes, Darren. There is. 
it, it, what I was saying before I dropped out, I hope I don't drop out again, saying I've got a shit signal now, which I don't know why. But um, You're in you know, last, last season, the, the game plan against Arsenal for a lot of teams was flood the box and push us wide and have us knock 50 crosses in. And people were cracking shits because we were knocking crosses into no one. But you can't play penetrative passes through multiple banks of four. It's not possible. Now, the way that you unlock that is you have a bigger, more solid target man up front who you can hit with some diagonals and you win second balls and you start to scatter the pins. Um, I don't think that we have that. And I still think there's a big hole with us, especially at striker, where I don't know that we've got like a, a, a B category, like, you know, that Olivier Giroud style player who we can go to where we're making subs, but we're actually making subs to change the way we're playing, not making subs to just get people off who are tired. I think it's very possible, Darren, that with this team, the way we see it now, that we will beat Tottenham. We will beat Everton. We will beat the teams who are kind of below the top four who are going to come to us and attack us. I think we'll do really well against them. I think in the fullness of time at the end of the season, if we did a table of all the teams between kind of fourth and eighth, I think Arsenal are going to beat a lot of those teams. I think we're going to get a lot of three points against those teams because in an attacking state, I think we're better than those teams. Where we may struggle to pick up points and where we're really going to have to grind it out and accept our one nils is going to be against the Burnleys and against the Norwiches. Now, Darren, as a cheeky little bet, I would not be surprised if we don't beat Sheffield on the weekend, having gone and beaten Tottenham. I would not be surprised if we don't beat them, if it's a low-scoring Oh, I'd be really surprised if we beat Sheffield at the weekend. Yeah. And I think that plays... No, I would be really, really, really surprised if we beat Sheffield at the weekend because we're playing Brighton. Exactly the question. We're playing playing Brighton. Oh, Brighton, okay. <laughs> that's why, that's why, that's why I'd be really surprised if we beat Sheffield I'd be at the weekend. Surprised if, I'd be surprised if we beat Brighton then on the weekend. Let me yeah. just, uh, I just, I just want to excuse me a second, Max. <laughs> Thanks, Roger, over talking. I just, uh, there's a couple of uh, comments coming that I just want to, uh, just want to <laughs> come on. Uh, this is why not, um, who was, uh, who was um, coming back at me, I think. Oh, where did I see it? Um, uh, well, there was one I know that why not came back and said I follow Arsenal uh, oh, I need to find it because I follow Arsenal to watch winning football oh yeah Dazza I watch Arsenal for winning good football last decade has been a disappointment yes I understand it's been a disappointment if you listen to me and I know you do every week then it has the last 10 years has been a complete disappointment it's been a slow steady decline that has has, has, has got the patience of all us on the edge. It's been terrible watching us slowly decline as a football club, as a team that was challenging at the Champions League that now, you know, aren't even in the in European football. So I understand that. But this is a time now where this is fun. We are where we are. We found our level. You can't just support a winning side. Otherwise, what's the point of being a supporter? Just change your team or go and support Manchester City or or Juventus, although they're not doing so well this year, or Real Madrid, although they're not doing so well this year. It's football. It's my point, you know. Go and support Paris Saint-Germain. You know, PSG, they've won their first 10 games in the French League. If you just want to watch winning football, then that, go and, you know, don't bother. Don't bother. Go and go and sub- watch Bryson DeChambeau. Or, you know, you you you, you don't understand about, about support. Now is the time. We've found a level. We're a mid-table team, and we're trying to work our way back to the top. This is fun. This is where it becomes fun. We're, every week, you've got a whole new young team to get behind us a support. We aren't going to win every week. We're not going to. That's not how football works. Yeah, Chelsea was shit for 50 years. Manchester United were in the second division most of the time I was growing up. You know, things don't, things go around. Leeds have just come into the, back into the top flight after 19 years out. Newcastle, you know, oh, we're a big club. We, we deserve better. You know, up and down from the, the Premier League to the Championship. These fans aren't happy. It's not all about winning. It's about getting behind your support side and supporting them. And there's another one I, here I saw. Go on, go on. Well, go on, I, I, I think that if you were going to make a decision from a business perspective, Darren, that you weren't going to play 
with the cities of the world and the Chelsea's of the world. So from a business perspective, if you said we are not going to pour 400 million pounds into this team every three years and change the manager every three years, because that's a, those clubs have made a business decision that that is the structure that they want to live in, right? That that's their continued idea of how to reach success. It appears that Arsenal and the Cronkies have made the decision that that is not the way that they want to play. Now we're well, self-sustaining club, and they're still yeah, supporting yeah. us financially. We know that from the last ten years of Premier League football, that the vast majority of the time, those who spend the most win the most, right? As they refresh their clubs and bring in new managers, we know that. We've seen it with all of the Chelsea victories. We've seen it with all of the City victories over the last decade. Now, if you were going to go with a different business model and you were going to go with the self-sustaining model like you're talking about, Darren, if I was sitting in that strategy meeting and I was saying, well, how do we get the Arsenal fans behind us knowing that it is unlikely that we are going to win a league? It is unlikely that we're going to win a league. How do we get them behind us? In that strategy meeting, I would have said, we need to give them something to fall in love with again. And I feel like that's a large part of the strategy. The Sackers the Odegaards, the ESRs, the young kids, the exciting kids, bringing the kids through the academy. I feel like that's a strategy or it would have been my strategy in that boardroom to try and get people on the team and growing with the team as we watch these young kids coming through. I think it's very dangerous as an Arsenal fan, very, very, very dangerous to still connect or associate your love of the club with the Arsenal of... 15 years ago with the Thierry Henry era of Arsenal because football doesn't exist like that anymore. Arsenal didn't didn't spend £110 million a player, £100 million a player on Burkamp, on Henry, on Vieira, on Petit, on Overmars, on Adams, on Campbell, on Torre, on Lauren. You go look at the transfer fees of these guys, Darren. They were all very, very moderate transfer fees that were built of a relationship with David Dean and Arsene Wenger going and finding the best young talent that they could and bringing them through. Do I think that it is still possible to do that and win a prem in the modern state of football? I don't know. But I tell you what, we're going to find out because it's essentially what we're fucking doing right now and we're going to find out within three to five years whether or not you can apply old-fashioned football club strategies to modern-day football and fucking win something. I want to get to uh, saying that, um, good evening, WDWTT, don't waste the tweet, is joining us. And he talked. I want to talk about substitutions. It's something that's uh, been talked out about a bit. But I just want to go back to, <laughs> why not? Oh, I've lost a bit again. Oh, where was it? It was, do we want, this is uh, Why Not, who sent in a message, do we want Saka and ESR to become the new Jack Wilshere and Ramsey, brittle bones? For a start, can I just put this to rest on Jack Wilshere? Jack Wilshere was superb until he got taken out from behind by a Manchester United player, I can't remember which one, a centre-half, went through the back of him, dislocated and broke his ankle. Okay? Didn't have brittle bones. Had a terrible, terrible, terrible challenge at the game. He was stretched off with oxygen, broke and dislocated his ankle. Never, never got back after that. That is not to do with overplaying him. You can't overplay when that tackle happened. If it had been 34 or 22 or 19 or 21, it doesn't matter. That was a a career-ending challenge. We are also not in Europe this year. Yeah, we are not in Europe. So we are not playing two games a week like we have done for ages. And I would agree if we were playing Saka um, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday throughout the season. Yes, absolutely overplaying him. We're playing one game a week and he's 20 years old. Let him play into some form. What do you want him to do? Play football once every two weeks. If I was him playing for England, um, uh, the darling of everyone at the moment, I'd want to leave the club if I was only played once every two weeks. It's a superstar. Him play. Why would why would I want to turn up and not watch him? If I'd have turned up at that Tottenham game at the weekend and Saka and Smith Rowe had been on the bench and we'd have put, you know, El Nenny and uh and players that we've seen a, a lot of, you know, Lacazette in their places, I know. I would still enjoy what we've got. And, and then look, sorry, one more thing, one more thing. And then he goes on to say, Arteta out, Cronky out. What is the point? Why would you want to get rid of him now? Why, when we can see the green shoots of something starting, when we've we've employed a manager for a couple of years who has slowly, slowly weeded out a lot of the players that we wanted out of the club? 
has got some discipline back, back into the club, who has now got his own team for the first time, his team playing. And we're all saying how exciting and good it is. Why would you want to change him now? And who the fuck would want to come and manage Arsenal when we're eighth two years running? We aren't in the Champions League. We're not in the Europa League. Stick with what we've got. Give him this season and stop fucking moaning. Jesus Christ. Because it won't win the league, Darren. And you have to, like, in, in all life, we have to accept different people's opinions. Some people believe that there's a magic man in the sky who built the world in seven days and controls all the things that we do. And some people believe that we live, we die, and then we're fucking worm food. I think that whenever making an argument about Arsenal, about your enjoyment of Arsenal, about someone's negativity of Arsenal, we have to take into account that different people perceive supporting their football club from different perspectives. So if someone perceives supporting their their football club from a perspective of, I want to win the fucking league in my lifetime, they may look at the current state of affairs, and even though they can see the green shoots, they may look at it and say, under the current structure, under the current manager, and under the current ownership, it is not possible to win a premiership. And I actually agree with that element of it. I don't think that it's possible to win a premiership using old-fashioned systems that we're using at the moment that is a five-year plan. So, so okay, look, sorry to interrupt, but it's a very important question I need to put back to you then. So why are you following Arsenal? Why you don't think we're going to win the league? You don't think we're going to get back to the top because table? I don't fo- because I don't follow sports teams to win, right? I follow sports teams because of the enjoyment of it. I follow my sports team because I get to meet people like you, Darren. I get to come with the team. I get to associate with something that is bigger than myself. And to win is a wonderful cherry on top of a cake that gives me a lot more than just victory. So to be miserable every week, to be really upset about the fact that we're not winning, that we're not going to win the premiership, it's fine for me to sit there and say, I don't think we're going to win the premiership, but I get a lot more enjoyment from the football in general. If I wasn't getting enjoyment from watching the football, Darren, I wouldn't go. I support my my rugby league team hasn't fucking won anything since 1994, right? I've supported that team when they were bottom of the table. I watched that team every single week when they ran out and were getting done 40 nil by absolutely everyone. And lo and behold, Darren, two years ago, out of nowhere, we made the grand final. And then we fucking lost. And it hurt. <laughs> but you understand this. Max, I love you. Uh, you know, you, uh, it's a joy talking to you always. But the one thing is we are supporters. We are supporters of this club. It ain't all about winning. We can't. We, we don't have a divine right to win every week. Of course we want to. And we're Arsenal. And I'm, I'm not belittling that. We are Arsenal. We're a major club in world football. I have grown up through barren spells. I've seen us have successful spells. I've seen us have teams that are, have gone unbeaten all season and teams that are better than that. The team two years before that was much better than the Invincibles. You know, we 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 are Arsenal. We should be at the top table. We should be there in the Champions League. We should be in the in the last four, last eight, at least of the Champions League. I'm not saying I'm happy with our predicament, but when things are hard and when things are tough, this is when you roll your sleeves up and you support the club. This is when you support the club. This is where it's more important than ever. Darren, supporting Arsenal is a lot like blowjobs, right? Because they're, they're few and far between, Darren, but it's the dream that it could happen that keeps you going. It's the dream that maybe one day you'll get another one, an unreciprocated one, Darren, one that comes out of the blue. An FA Cup victory, Darren, an FA Cup run is like when all of a sudden you just get a blowjob, right? And you haven't had one in so long. You didn't think you even remembered what it was like. And then you get one, you're like, it's brilliant, Darren. Then all you want is another one. But they don't come that easily, Darren. Don't come that easily, and they don't come that regularly. In my I bedroom, might be having one as we speak. You know how Arsenal put all of like their victories around the stadium. 1971, 1980. I do that, Darren, but I do it with blowjobs. Right, every time they get etched on the wall. You have to dream, Darren. You have to believe that one day you'll get another one. See, see, this is where I get annoyed with uh, younger supporters. I've got a nephew called Max, who I love to bits. Big Arsenal fan, does his own podcast. Been on my podcast in the past. Really great guy, Max. Um, and three weeks ago, he was like you, and I haven't spoken to him since, actually. Three weeks like you ago, like you, he was saying, Arteta out, and he was saying, it's not good enough. And I'm saying, give him till Christmas. And he's going, no, 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 it's not good enough. 
Um, and he's 22, 23 years old now. And, you know, you just said something that really sort of struck home with me. You said, we may, no, 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 no. Uh, we may not see Arsenal win the title in our lifetime. But when you're my age, that worries me a bit because I haven't got that many more years to, to, to go, you know. At least at your age, you've got a whole two, three generations of pain and suffering. And I'm sure there'll be some highlights within that. I mean, there's enough, uh, you know, sometimes you have to look at supporting Arsenal as a bit of a gift. I mean, I, I fell into supporting Arsenal because my uncle supported Arsenal, you know, and he fell into supporting Arsenal because someone else supported Arsenal. And if you look at those chains of when you have generational support, to be able to have supported a club generationally, not through choice, Darren, not saying that's the best team, so I'm going to go support that team. But to be able to have that ability to have supported that club because generationally people have supported that club and have handed it down to you, whether it be through family or whatever it might be. You know, we're very lucky that we as fans even got to see in our lifetime that period of dominance. We as fans are very lucky that we got to see the team that came before the Invincibles and the Invincibles. There are people who support fucking West Ham. There are people who I know who support Everton, people who I know who support. I've got a mate who's a Burnley fan, generationally a Burnley fan, right? He cannot not support Burnley because his granddad and his great-granddad all supported Burnley. And in their lifetime, Darren, they're never even going to get to see a period of time where they get to watch an Invincibles. They're never going to have a Thierry Henry at their club. And I think sometimes Arsenal fans need to look at themselves in the mirror and say, if we don't get another run like that in our lifetime, we've already been given so much more than the vast majority of other football clubs have been given. Arsenal have given us that. The desire to get back there, that's something that we absolutely want to do. And there's no issue with wanting to do that. But accepting the fact that that may have been that period of time may have been a once in a generation, once in a two generation period of time, your generation and my generation, and that we may not see that again. Well, if you spend your entire life longing for that again, you may just end up being really disappointed with football for the rest of your fucking life. And if that's the case, go do pottery. You'll get more joy out of fucking making a pot on a wheel out of clay. Yeah. Now, I understand Arsenal fans who have uh, who started watching the team in the last two decades. You know, I understand that. They were brought up with invincibles and winning titles. And, you know, of course, it's all gone down from there. You know, when, when I watched Arsenal win the, the, the title in 1971 as a as a kid, I then had to wait another, what was it, 18 years before we won it again. You know, that 18 years, I was home and away for a lot of that as I became a teenager. It was it was depressing. You know, as I've mentioned many times, I was at the, the Wrexham third round cup defeat away at Wrexham. I was at York where we got beat 1-0 in the FA Cup third round. You know, I've, I've been at games where I've seen us get stuffed. I've, I've been at games where you would... You know, the Highbury, everyone talks about how wonderful Highbury was. And Highbury was a fabulous ground to watch football from. And the atmosphere at times was brilliant. But you go down for a, the go down to the toilet at half time and you're standing in six inches of piss. It was a shit of a stadium to watch from a fan's perspective. You know, you were, it, it really wasn't that good. Um, and, and I followed and we were herded around by police. We were... We were attacked by opposition supporters. It was a, a violent, nasty thing. There was nothing fun about going to football and we didn't win anything. And we still turned up every week because it was part of what we do. It's our DNA. We're Arsenal. We will fight, fight together, you know, because of the AFC. It's, it's, it's what we are. And I know times are hard at the moment and times may not get better quickly. But stick with what we've got. Stop trying to change the manager. Let's have a look at what we've got, see what we're trying to do and get behind them. And I tell you what, everyone in that stadium on uh, on Sunday afternoon was behind the side from the very first whistle, from the very first minute till the final whistle. It was a fantastic atmosphere and full of people like-minded enjoying watching football. Enjoy it. Darren, I, I, I hear you, you know. When of course, we were young, shouting. When we were young, we saw Arsenal. When we were young, Darren, we saw Arsenal win a lot. And as we've gotten older, we see Arsenal win less. Darren, you could say it's a lot like blowjobs. You could. You could say when we were young, we had many. It was a fruitful time for us, Darren, when we were young. Fruitful. We were mining a rich vein 
of blowjobs in that time. And as time has gone on, Darren, they have reduced and reduced and reduced. But the dream, Darren, the dream is that one day, once again, it will happen. Go on, you're hosting, carry on. What do you want to talk about next? I don't want to talk about anything dull like substitutes. What have we done? 54 minutes and I've just had one argument with our one listener. We're nearly done. We're nearly done. That's the, look, that's the beautiful thing. That's the beautiful thing about being a fan. That's the beautiful thing about being a supporter. And it's the beautiful thing about being able to have spirited and open debate with someone. You don't need yeah. to call each other cunts. You don't need to have a go and say, you're not a fan, you're this, you're that. You know, you can have an open and honest debate and have two fans from very different generations who live in very different places in the world who consume their football in very different ways. And it is okay to disagree and it's okay to have a spirited debate. Darren, absolutely fine to have a spirited debate. Darren, I'll finish with this question for you. Okay. We've now won a couple of games under some trying circumstances against average teams, yes. which has been something that is difficult for us to do in the past. We've then gone and been able to turn that form into a dominant performance against a team who I don't think will be in the top pointy part of the table. I, th I think Tottenham are going to be a mid-table team. So we've done some lower table teams. We've done a mid-table team. As you're kind of projecting across the season now, Darren, do you think that we are better than what you thought we were at the beginning of the season? equal to what we thought we were at the beginning of the season or below what you thought we were at the beginning of the season or where you thought we would kind of finish up? I think I'm more hopeful than I was at the start of the season. I think um, I would have liked to have seen five or six players leave the club because I still think this squad is uh, is a little bit un ungainly at, at times. You know, we've just lost Yaka for three months. We haven't really mentioned that, but... Uh, Jack is out for three months. And I think, you know, um, that, that will hit us. You know, we lose another one in the middle of the park and suddenly, you know, have we got that strength in depth to to achieve what I'm hopeful that we would achieve? But I've seen that Emil Smith-Rowe has come on a little bit. Erdegaard was a really good addition and he's, he's playing a little bit better than I thought. Gabriel, who I've always been a bit concerned about as a footballer, is actually a bit of a monster at the back. Matured and, uh, a little bit this season, I think. Looks so, less that, so that's improved. Aaron Ramsdale is just, I love him. I love him already. He's going to become a real classic, a real icon at this club if he continues to perform the way he is. So, uh, Tommy Yasu, uh, Tommy Yasu, I'm trying to get him mixed up with you, is a huge improvement on what we've got. So in five or six areas around the pitch, we are better than I thought we would be. Um, still to see the best of Ben White, still to see the uh, the best of Sambi Lakonga, still to see the best of Aubameyang, still to see the best of uh, of Saka. You know, so that you know, these, there's all room for improvement. So I am slightly happier, and still think we will be challenging at the very top end of the table. How mm. about you? Are we better? I think I Words. said at the start of the season I thought we would be eighth, and having watched what I've watched and being happy with the fact that I've now seen us dig out a couple of games, which is something I didn't think that we were good at, I was actually a little bit, ha not happier, but I put a little bit more weight actually into the Burnley and the Norwich victories than I do in the Tottenham victory because I think Tottenham were so fucking poor. I really think they put it so on a platter. So were Norwich, by the way. So were Norwich, yeah. I thought. I think they put it on a platter for us, but I think those couple of games where we've dug it out and we haven't scored the goals and we haven't conceded, that says to me that we're going to beat a lot of the teams in and around us this season, which is what I was worried about because I never thought coming into the season that we were going to get points off Chelsea's and Liverpool's and City's. But I thought if we equally then don't go and get points off the Tottenham's and off the Everton's and stuff like that, that's why I thought we were going to come eighth because I didn't see us winning those games. And I saw us having issues down there because in the past we've struggled, you know, against Southampton's and Wolves and all of these teams. I think now, Darren, that we will finish in the European spots. So we'll be back on to Thursday night live next year playing against fucking Moldovan international, whatever the fucking name of that team is going to be from Moldova. Um, I'm going to call it early, Darren. I think we may finish fifth. 
that's the most positive. See, see where I don't want to get carried away here. And fifth is the highest you've had us finishing in all of our predictions. You know, we lost the first three games and we're the worst club in the world. We've just won three games and now we're the best club in the world. We are not. You know, the next run of fixtures on paper are, are games that are all winnable. Brighton, Crystal Palace, you know, these are games that we've, we've got a little run before the next international break, where if we win all of those sort of games, um, I'm, I, I will continue to be positive. But, you know, we lose at Brighton, we lose to Crystal Palace and suddenly we're the worst team in the world again. We're yeah, not but, consistent uh, enough yet. But I think I, you, can only, you can only project on what you're physically seeing right now. So, yeah, And the I'll question go. you asked me was, do I think they're better, worse, or the same? I think we're slightly better. I'm slightly more hopeful than I was at the start of the season. And everyone should be. And, and I think that's the wonder, that's the wonderful thing. I, I mean, one of the titles of our previous episodes, I, I titled it was Winning Breeds Winning. So when you're winning, it starts to breed a mentality that you can win. And we have won. And that winning makes us go into games believing that we're winning. And Darren, when you have crowds back... When you have crowds back, it's so important that that crowd, when they walk into the stadium on that day, that they come into the stadium believing that they're going to win. And I think that's what you saw at Tottenham. That's what those two wins leading into the Tottenham game gave us. Do you know, I the Norwich in- game was, I think the important thing to stress here is as somebody who goes to the stadium, the Norwich game, Chelsea was a few boos, it was a few miserable people there, but they were sort of almost like, your big club, you know, we're playing against a, a top six club or a top four club. And those season ticket holders that only come to four games a year because they're the big games are the miserable fuckers who don't really support the team, just come because they want to go and see the big teams. And there was a few jeers and it wasn't a great atmosphere. Norwich was that positivity all the way through start to finish. We're nil nil at home to Norwich at half time and we got clapped off and we didn't play that well. You know, there is a real positivity there. Yeah, and you and you get that, Darren, from a couple of different elements. You get that from fans wanting to see Smith Rose and wanting to see Sackers and being excited by Odegaards and being excited by the sub-narratives at Arsenal, which are now that <coughs> the sub-narratives at Arsenal, which are now that we have this young team and it's kind of coming together. And really one of the most important things, Darren, that, that we haven't touched on, we don't really have time to touch on it, but I'll I'll leave anyone listening to us with this idea. It was, yes, it's important for the team to start winning so that they can get the feeling of winning. But also from a fan interaction perspective, it is so important that Arsenal start winning so that Arteta gets the pressure pulled off him. And I would argue that after these last three games, this is the least amount of pressure that Arteta has been on definitely this season, but kind of across his tenure because going and doing a Tottenham, going and having a, a big win like that, regardless of whether Tottenham is shit or not, it's a pressure valve for Arteta and that pressure valve, it removes the head gas and it allows him to operate and it allows him to operate with a team that maybe starts to have some belief and maybe starts to believe that it can win. We may actually get to see now what Arteta's made of because he's working with a confident bunch of players who seem to be in a mould of how he wants to play. What a beautiful way to end the show tonight, Max. Yeah, well, more po- positivity breeds positivity, Darren. Uh, we will be back next week. Darren and I kind of playing this by ear at the moment. I generally, we, we have a conversation on the Wednesday before the Thursday. Well, on my case, it's the Thursday already. <laughs> yeah, where we send each other a message saying, what are we doing this week? We're not planned this year. Yeah. And um, also, I'm fairly, also, I'm a lot more flexible next week. I can do... Uh, yeah. Lots. We're also intentionally, for, for those of you who are listening in and thinking that we're going to do some, you know, statistical, tactical breakdown of games, yeah. this is how we want to do the show this year. We're literally just going to get together and talk shit about all manner of different bits and pieces. So it's not always, you know, it's not a post-game show. We're not going to, we didn't go through all the goals and all the bits and all the pieces. Just Plenty the main people talk. do that. Yeah, everyone fucking does that and look to be honest neither of us is a football manager darren is a well-known goal scoring machine i've seen the snippet from the paper from 1971 hey, patrick it would have been uh what uh 1995 come on ain't that far or not? 
That was a 1995 newspaper clipping. <laughs> deadly, deadly Poulton puts team to the sword. Um, That's it. Penalty King Poulton. Anyway, we will be back. We'll be back next week and hopefully we'll be talking about a win against Sheffield. <laughs> Even though we're playing Brighton. Something is going to happen. The game's going to get postponed. Just up. press the button. All right. Bye. an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button.